Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to meet together, to learn from your word, to learn how to rely on you and how we can have uh, power for sanctification and for change in our lives. We pray that uh, you would anoint us with your power and you would inspire us to seek you more, Lord. And we pray that uh, you would bless us. And amen. All right, so today we are doing part nine of our current series, How to Lead Your Heart. Uh, Today's sermon is titled, uh, Spiritual Power for Leading Your Heart. So we're going to talk about reliance on God um, and just do like a whole sermon on that alone, because that's really important. Um, But, you know, reliance on God in a practical way, not just, oh, you need um, more power, but I'm not going to talk to you about what to do about that. No, we're going to talk about it. So, you know, we're still doing through uh, the How to Lead Your Heart series. The key verse for this series is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart, or watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And, um, And for the purposes of this series, we define the heart as, your heart is the part of you that has beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions. So in this series, we're going through uh, five habits that if a person has these five habits, I think they'll be competent to really lead their heart, really lead their beliefs and desires and intentions and emotions. Uh, Last week, we talked about habit four, regularly, intentionally, and strategically seeking to renew your mind. And I do want to quickly mention some things I forgot to say in last week's sermon. Um, We talked about or I talked somewhat about methods you can use for tearing down strongholds for wrong thinking. Um, But one thing that's worth thinking about is you can use those same methods for building up strongholds of right thinking. Like even if you don't have a a struggle in a certain area, but you know, there's some truth you find in God's words that could be more a part of your thinking, you can use those same methods to really build it into your thinking. Uh, the second thing that I wanted to mention that I forgot last week is, um, again, for the method I use or talked about with using repetition to um, be more intentional in the mind renewal process, that's not something you want to just wait until temptation or until struggle comes to use because it's like exercise and it's like working out. If you know that you're going to have to lift something really heavy later in the day and you think to yourself, oh, I'll exercise today because I have to lift something heavy later. You know, that it doesn't work. You need to exercise regularly before the heavy lifting comes. And that is what makes you prepared to do heavy lifting when heavy lifting comes. You don't just wait until the struggle gets there or until it gets bad. You shouldn't just wait till temptation gets bad to start building truth into your mind. So the, the repetition methods are useful on days without temptation. If you want to actually use them well, you should, you know, it's not about waiting for temptation. It's, it's like exercise. So um, 
Yeah, last week we talked about regularly, intentionally, and strategically seeking to renew your mind. And uh, this week we're uh, going on the last habit, habit number five, relying on God and engaging in spiritual warfare. If you want to learn to lead your heart, having a habit of relying on God and engaging in spiritual warfare is helpful. So my premise for this sermon is this. In order to do our best with leading our hearts, we need to take full advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of worship, the power of prayer and fasting, and the power of deliverance. And um, for the structure of this sermon, we're just going to look at how each of those four things make a difference. So we need to take full advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of worship, the power of prayer and fasting, and the power of deliverance. All right, let's start with the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit makes a difference. How does having the power of the Holy Spirit make a difference in how we lead our hearts? Uh, There's three ways, um, I think, if I remember right, of how, um, that I wanted to note, of how being filled with the Holy Spirit gives you power for leading your heart in practical ways. So number one, Being filled with the Spirit has a tangible, noticeable, supernatural effect on our attitudes, desires, and emotions. So there's a few scriptures, a few passages of scripture that I want to look at that show how being filled with the Spirit has a a supernatural impact on our attitudes, desires, and emotions. Uh, The first one, the easiest to start with, is Galatians 5, 16 through 23. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, those are things that affect your heart. Those are things that are in your heart. And the Holy Spirit has a supernatural effect on that in your heart. Uh, The more filled with the Spirit we all are, the more the Spirit produces his fruit in our lives. The more we have love and joy and peace and the rest of them. So that's the first scripture I wanted to look at that shows how being filled with the Spirit has a supernatural effect on our attitudes, desires, and emotions. 
Uh, the second case I want to look at in the scriptures is how the Holy Spirit gave the disciples boldness for the gospel. Uh, let's look at Acts 4:23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their frets and grant to your servants to speak the word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through your name of the holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit gave them boldness. Let's compare this with um, how they were before they received the Holy Spirit, before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They weren't quite as bold. You know, just um, seven weeks before they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you know, they all denied Jesus for fear of death. They all abandoned him. They didn't have the same boldness. There was a real supernatural change that came from having been filled, more filled with the Holy Spirit, from having been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit sometimes causes us to feel the types of things that God feels. That's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. He causes us to feel the types of things that God feels when we're filled with the Spirit. Let's look at 1 Samuel 11, 1 through 11. About a month later, King Nahash of Ahmad led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh-Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us, and we will be your servants, they pleaded. All right, Nahash said, but only on one condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to Israel. Give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. If no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms. When the messengers uh, came to Gibeah of Saul and told the people about their plight, everyone broke into tears. Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen, and when he returned, 
He asked, what's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully on Saul, and he became very angry. He took two oxen and cut them into pieces and sent them and sent the messengers to carry them throughout Israel with this message. This is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger. And all of them came out together as one. When Saul mobilized them at Bezek, he found that there were 300,000 men uh, from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. So Saul sent the messengers back to Jabesh Gilead and said, We will rescue you by noontime tomorrow. And there was great joy throughout the town when that message arrived. The men of Jabesh then told their enemies, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you can do to us whatever you wish. But before dawn the next morning, Saul arrived having divided his army into three detachments. He launched a surprise attack against the Amorites and slaughtered them the whole morning. The remnant of their army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. That would be a pretty bad situation to be in. Someone comes to destroy your town or to make slaves of everyone, and they're going to cut out everyone's left eye or right eye. That doesn't sound fun. So this was a great deliverance that God gave to them. This was a great rescuing, a great salvation that God accomplished for them. But I want to focus specifically on verse 6. Then the Holy Spirit came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. Some translations say his anger was greatly kindled. The the Holy Spirit causes us to feel things, the types of things that God feels when we're filled with the Spirit. I don't think God took it very lightly that... um, You know, this person wanted to cut out everyone's right eye of a town of his people. I don't think God just felt nonchalant about that. I think God was angry about it, and God wanted Saul to be angry about it. But what's kind of really interesting about this is... um, somewhat of the attitude change. Saul was filled with righteous anger and with boldness. Uh, But just a chapter ago, Saul was so timid that he was hiding in fear when Samuel was going to make him king. Let's look at that. So this is chapter 11. We just read the start of chapter 11. Let's go to chapter 10. 1 Samuel 10, 20 through 23. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot, he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Mitrites was taken by Lot, and Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. 
And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of them from his shoulders upward. He knew that he was going to be chosen to be king of Israel, and he was hiding in fear. He was just like, nope, I'm not, I'm not feeling this right now. I'm going to go hide. So it would seem that, at least at that time in his life, Saul wasn't a particularly bold person. But anyways, when we're filled with the Spirit, the whole, one of the things the Spirit does is he causes us to feel the types of things that God feels. Uh, the third aspect of this I wanted to talk about is the more filled we are with the Spirit, the greater the effect. The more submitted and yielded and uh, filled with God's Spirit, the, the greater the effect he'll have in our lives. So being filled with the Spirit is something we need to pursue. It's a command in Ephesians. Paul commanded um, in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So being filled with, filled with the Spirit can't just be something that we have no control of. It can't just be something we can't do anything about because God commanded it. Now, surely we can't just be filled with the Spirit of our own accord. We can't just do it without God. That's not how reliance on God works. Relying on God takes God. But it also takes you. So let's talk about how to be filled with the Spirit. And there could be a whole sermon or a whole series, probably a whole series done on this, but we don't have time for that. That's beyond the scope of this series. So this will be pretty brief. Uh, there's three things I want to mention about how to pursue being more filled with the Holy Spirit. The first one is prayer. Praying that God would fill us with more of his Spirit. Let's look at Luke 11, 5 through 13. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer him from within, Do not bother me now. The door is shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if he has a son who asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So one of the things that's interesting about this passage is um, just the contrast between this passage and the version of it in Matthew. Uh, in Matthew, Jesus is talking about prayer in general, but in Luke, when he's saying something very similar... 
um, he specifically ends it with instead of how much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That was very intentional. God doesn't let things in his word by accident. Jesus didn't preach things by accident. I think this shows that one of the things we should pray for specifically is the Holy Spirit. We should regularly be praying to be more and more filled with the Holy Spirit. It needs to be a regular part of our lives. Day in and day out, week in and week out, we should regularly be praying that God would give us more of the Holy Spirit and fill us more with his Spirit. It's something we should regularly be praying for. It's something God wants us to pray for, and it's something God wants to answer. Jesus is really trying to make the case that if you ask for it, God wants to give it to you. He's really trying to make the case that God wants to give you more of the Holy Spirit. But he wants us to pray. He wants us to seek him. Uh, the second way to pursue being more filled with the Holy Spirit, setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Let's look at Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not even submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Paul makes a connection between walking in the Spirit or living according to the Spirit and setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. I think setting our minds on the things of the Spirit you know, is one of the ways where we can be more filled with the Spirit. It helps us to walk according to the Spirit. It helps us to live according to the Spirit. And I would just offer as what I would think three practical ways to set our minds on the things of the Spirit would be, number one, worship. Worship helps you set your mind on the things of the Spirit in a particularly powerful way. In my opinion, more than just like thinking, sitting around and thinking about it, worship really works in your mind and heart deeply. Worship music and worshiping God through praise and music can really help us set our minds and our hearts on the glory and victory and thoughts of God in a deep way. So I think worship can help us to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Um, prayer helps us to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. When we pray, or at least when we pray the way Jesus taught us to, uh, we're praying for the things of God. We're praying for his kingdom to come. We're praying for his will to be done. We're praying for his name to be honored. Doing that helps us set our mind on the things of the Spirit. And the third thing I would say that helps us set our mind on the things of the Spirit, uh, meditating on the Scriptures, reading the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures. You know, the, the Scriptures are the things of the Spirit. That's, that's pretty obvious. The Spirit wrote them through people. So ingesting the Scriptures helps us set our mind on the things of God.
The third way in which we can pursue being more filled with the Holy Spirit is, um, you know, pursuing the baptism in the Holy Spirit, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts 19, verses 1 and 6. This is just um, my go-to passage for talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in general. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you know, by this point, they're already converted Christians. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So, Again, that's just an introduction. There could be a, a whole series on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, we have one on our website. Um, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, or if you don't know what that means, I would encourage you to check out that series on our website or books in our library about it. But getting baptized in the Holy Spirit is an important part of pursuing being filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm a bit behind schedule. I'm going to have to move a bit quicker. The second thing I wanted to talk about, how worship makes a difference. Worship has power that helps us to lead our hearts, to direct our hearts. And um, I have, you know, five reasons how worship makes a difference. Uh, number one, worship helps us to get more filled with the Spirit. You know, we just discussed that, so we don't need to discuss it much more, but it helps us set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Not only that, but worship helps us encounter the presence of God, and encountering the presence of God often causes a person to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, worship can increase our joy. And increased joy can be helpful, in case anyone didn't know. I figure most people like joy. Let's look at Psalm 16, verses 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I think David encountered joy in worship a lot. I think it was a regular experience for David. Let's look at um, a different verse um, from David. Psalm 71, verse 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. David regularly had great joy in worship, in seeing the glory of God, in thinking about the victory of God, the love of God, the majesty of God, the power and justice of God. These things brought David great joy in worship. 
And this is something we all need to come to experience as Christians, and it's something God wants us to experience as Christians. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. You know, there's been hundreds of times where songs of worship have made me feel joy. And on a few occasions, some of the happiest times in my entire life have been times of worship. But that's something, you know, that all Christians can and should experience is the joy of worship. Let's look at Nehemiah 8, verses 9 and 10. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people and said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy we get from worship can give us strength for life's daily temptations and struggles. Facing any given temptation or struggle tends to be easier when you have joy versus when you have no joy. Temptations and struggles are almost always easier to go for you when you have joy versus when you have no joy. The third way in which worship makes a difference in leading our hearts, it can increase our confidence. So, um, so when we come before God in worship, we're reminded of his strength, his love, his faithfulness, his redemption, his work in our lives, his wisdom, his sovereignty, his promises. And that can and should give us confidence. Those things are great reasons to be confident in life. So worship, it builds our faith and it increases our confidence. The next way worship can be helpful and can make a difference, worship can help us to process difficult emotions and regain perspective. Uh, there are several examples of this in the scriptures, but we're only going to look at two of them. Uh, let's look at Psalm 22, uh, verses 1 through 5, and then after that we'll skip to verse 26. Um. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, from saving me, from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted, and they were not put to shame. David starts out with this psalm with some pretty deep, despairing emotion. Times were not good for David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why don't you help me? I'm just in misery and I can't get any rest. But then he focuses on God and on how trusting in God has led um, to victory in the past. But then by the end of the psalm, let's look at verse 26. You can see he's 
He's really, his spirits have been lifted by the end of the song. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord shall praise him. May your hearts live forever. Let's also look at Psalms 13, verses 1 through 6. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There's been numbers of times where I've been depressed, but listening to a song about God's love and faithfulness has really helped me to regain perspective. Worship does that. Worship can help us to regain perspective and to process difficult emotions. Uh, the next way in which worship makes a difference, um, it gives us power to lead our hearts. Worship music can uh, give us an advantage in spiritual warfare. Let's look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 through 23. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the harp. And when uh, the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, because, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it in his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. When we declare God's glory and God's victory in worship, demons don't like it, and it can even drive them away. I think this is a really interesting example how, um, well, you know, Jesus hadn't come to earth yet, so David didn't command it to leave in the name of Jesus. But he played music, probably worship music, um, knowing David, and it it drove the evil spirit away. By the way, all these things apply to both corporate worship and private worship. Both corporate worship and private worship are useful, and we should make use of both of them. 
All right, the next thing I want to look at is how prayer and fasting make a difference. We need to take full advantage of the power of prayer and fasting. (laughs) So we talked um, briefly last week about Part of the reason God allows us to have struggles is to show his power. God designed us to rely on him. Um, and we looked at 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. We won't read the whole thing again because I'm running a bit low on time. But, uh, you know, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says that therefore he's content with all sorts of weaknesses. But that's how is God's power made perfect in weakness? God's power is best shown through human weakness. God's power is best shown through human weakness. That's what it means. It's perfected through um, human weakness. Because God's power is already perfect, right? God's not lacking any power. He doesn't need more. He's not like Tim the Tool Man. He, doesn't, he has all the power. He couldn't possibly have any more because he has all that could be had. But God's power is shown the best it can be shown for human weakness. And that's why God designed us to have weaknesses. That's why God allows it. That's why God ordained it. So, given that there's a reason you have weaknesses, because who likes having weaknesses? Like, in and of itself, there's no good reason to enjoy having weakness or having struggle. The only reason is because it shows God's power. And if that's the reason for it, you may as well make use of it to that end. Because it's not fun. (laughs) Who wants to have a weakness? If there's a purpose for it, you should make use of that purpose. We should be very deliberate to rely on God as much as we can in life. Not just that, but all the several passages that encourage us to pray. Why would God encourage us to pray? Maybe he wants us to pray. I think he does want us to pray. God wants us to pray because it, you know, when we seek him, when we rely on him for strength that we don't have, it shows his power. No, we don't have time to look at them, but there's just so many verses throughout Scripture that encourage us to pray, that show that God wants us to pray. God made the need of prayer a thing on purpose. God is glorified in us praying and him, him answering that prayer. And there are things that God wants to give us that he won't give us unless we pray for them. You know, James said in his epistle, you do not have because you do not ask. We need to remember that. There's things that God wants to give us, victories that God wants to give us that we won't get if we don't pray for them. That should strike us. That should make you think, oh wow, I wonder what I could be missing out on if I'm not regularly praying for God's victory.
That should be something that's part of our thinking every day. That should make us really value prayer. We should pray for God's victory in specific areas of our struggle and in areas of our weakness every day. We'll never be able to accomplish as much without prayer as we could with it, and that's by God's design. So that's the biggest reason I have of why prayer and fasting make a difference, but uh, we can talk somewhat about the practical ways in which God responds to prayer. You know, when, when we pray um, for victory over struggles, God works in our life in response to that prayer. I don't know if you've ever prayed for patience. A lot of people are scared to, but it's worth praying for patience at least a few times. God will often work in your life to develop more patience, work in your circumstances. It's worth praying for humility. Whenever I pray for humility, I pray that I'd learn it the easy way. But, um, but sometimes, if we're too stubborn and we need to learn it the hard way, God will orchestrate that. And uh, it, it's best to not need to learn the hard way, but if you do, it's still worth praying for. Because it's better to have it than to not have it, even if you suffer to get it. Not only that, but God works in our hearts in response to prayer. Because the Holy Spirit is actively working in our hearts to change them. But you know, if we pray for more of the Holy Spirit, God will give us more of the Holy Spirit. And if we pray for more activity, more working in God, in God and working in our hearts to change our hearts, I think he wants to give us that. And lastly, prayer brings us closer to God. You know, when you're praying, you're fellowshipping with God, you're communing with God, and that brings you closer to him. We have a relationship with God, and as we grow in that relationship, it changes us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So beholding the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Prayer brings us closer to God, and being closer to God helps us to grow. So the last section in this sermon, I think we can manage to do in five minutes, um, how deliverance makes a difference. So I couldn't do this series and not talk about deliverance at least somewhat, because some struggles, some heart struggles, are amplified by demonic oppression. And that's something that needs to be taken into account. There are specific types of demons that seek to cause specific types of sins and struggles. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture that show that. Let's look at 1 Kings 22, verses 13 through 23. And a messenger who sent who was sent to summon Micah, said to him, or Micaiah, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, 
Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead to go into battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up in triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to speak nothing to me but the truth in the name of the Lord? I kind of imagine he sounded sarcastic when he said it. How many times must I make you swear to me that you speak to me nothing but truth in the name of the Lord? And he said to him, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his own home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you uh, that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said, by what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in his mouth and in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of uh, all your prophets. The Lord has declared a disaster for you. Now, notice how these, these prophets... These false prophets had a lying spirit, a lying and evil spirit, but they didn't seem possessed in the way movies portray being demonized. The Bible doesn't even actually use the word possessed. I don't have time to get into it, but it uses the word demonized. That's the way it should be translated. But anyways... God, their deceitful spirits exist. Lying spirits exist. This spirit wanted to cause a specific sin, a specific problem. Lying. There's other spirits that aim to cause specific sins and struggles. Let's look at Acts 16, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So these are just specific examples, just two, because we don't have time for more, but there are specific demons that cause specific types of sins or struggles or seek to amplify those struggles. There can be demons of lust or depression or anxiety or of unforgiveness or of addictions. But Christians have authority over demons. We're not going to read the whole passage, but Jesus said... um, At the end of Mark and Mark 16, and these signs will accompany those who believe, they will cast out demons. That's one of the signs he mentions in a list of signs he gives. We as Christians have authority to cast out demons. We can take authority over demons that cause oppression, that amplify struggles that we have. So let's talk about you know, if you have a given struggle, how, how can you know whether or not it might be demonic? So there's no hard, fast rule I can give for that. There just isn't. Um, but I would say this. 
if there's a struggle that you can't seem to get past or defeat, no matter what you do, it's possible that it might be amplified by demonic oppression. I'm not saying that it is, but that it's possible. But one of the gifts that God gives, one of the gifts of the Spirit, is the discernment of spirits. Um, we don't have time to read the whole passage, but in, a, in 1 Corinthians 12, one of the gifts that Paul mentions is the ability to distinguish between spirits. And that's useful for deliverance. That's useful for discerning whether or not a struggle is being amplified or caused by demonic oppression. So just what I would say overall about this, if you have a struggle and you think that it might be one that's amplified or caused by demonic oppression, then that's something to ask God for discernment about and to talk to one of your pastors about. And uh, if you think you have the need to pursue deliverance, which most Christians do at some point or another, uh, there's books that I would recommend reading. Deliverance from Evil Spirits is a good one. Uh, they Shall Expel Demons. The Total Forgiveness Experience is a good one uh, because unforgiveness and demonic oppression have a lot to do with each other. Um, I could talk about that more, but we're running out of time. But if you have questions on this subject, it would be good to read one of these books um, or to talk to your discipler about it. And if, if you would like, if you need deliverance in a certain area, you can talk to your discipler or to Stephen or to Christiana. But anyways, in conclusion, in order to do our best with leading our hearts, we need to take full advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit, experiencing the benefits that come from being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to take full advantage of the power of worship. Worship has great power. We need to take full advantage of the power of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting make a real difference in sanctification and Christian growth because God designed us to need them. And we need to take full advantage of the power of deliverance. Let's quickly look at 2 Peter 1.13. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. God has granted us many tools, many ways to rely on him for power, but we need to use them and take advantage of them. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for this time to learn from your word. Thank you that you give us power and you answer prayer and you desire to help us, Lord. Please help us to remember how much we need you and to remember that we'll never escape that need because we have it by your good design. We pray that we would daily think about that and we would daily pursue you in worship and in prayer. We thank you for your grace and your love and amen.